This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio brings you prescribed listening from our trusted contributors at the Ontario Pharmacists Association. Welcome back. Managing pain is a huge conundrum for tens of thousands of people. With so many products to choose from, both prescription medications and over-the-counter products, how do you know which will work best for you? Also, addiction is a huge issue, and we've seen the province cut back on the availability of the strongest opioids. Uh, what does that mean for you? Our trusted contributor, John Papasturgio from the Ontario Pharmacists Association, is here with all the information and he is ready to take your calls and questions about this issue and about anything else you want to ask your pharmacist about. Welcome, John. Thanks for joining us. It's good to be back, Libby. Okay, so uh, we have just seen the province cut back on opioids. Um, so what should people do in terms of managing pain? So it's, you know, it's a, it's a good question. It's not always an easy question to answer. And, uh, you know, we, we know that about 30% of Canadians uh, uh, have some, some type of chronic pain issue. And they're, and they're uh, looking for help with that. And, uh, you know, historically what's happened is many of these patients have gone on opioids and, and, and in many cases very potent opioids. And that's led to, I think, the, the problem that we have with opioids in Canada currently. That being said, there's a lot of alternatives, right? And the general approach to managing uh, pain is stepwise. And I think it's important for patients to realize this. You always want to kind of start low with your therapy and move up if you're not getting relief. Uh, um, and, uh, uh, you know, depending what type of pain you're having, sometimes you could even start with a topical kind of formulation. And these are products that are found commonly in pharmacies and, and, and physicians will recommend them. But it really is kind of one of those patient-specific type journeys. So it's hard to say, you know, is there an easy solution for everyone? No, but I think um, it takes a lot of times uh, uh, some trial and error and, and getting feedback from the patient. You know, it's interesting. You're talking about stepping up. Yeah. Um, I also want to ask about stepping down. And if your pain is controlled, um, do you just keep taking those drugs forever? Or uh, do you? when is it time to think about, let's see what happens if, if I kind of reduce this a bit? That's an excellent question. And that's something I, I spend a lot of time on in my pharmacy. I call it, we've talked about it before, de-prescribing or, or, or reducing the amount of medication a, a patient is taking. So you're very right. Circumstances change. And there may be a point in time, whereas if your pain uh, is becoming less intense, we should really think about getting you on a different regimen. And again, that takes teetering with the medication. But I think it's a conversation uh, patients and pharmacists should have at least, you know, once a year, if not more frequently. Is your pain being managed well? You know, what's going on with your medical condition? Has it improved? Maybe you've undergone some therapies, right, that have have uh, changed it. Maybe your lifestyle has had an impact on your pain. 
And, you know, our goal is always to have the patient on the lowest effective dose of a, a pain medication. Um, it's kind of the dose that will work the best, but at the same time, they won't have the side effects. And then the addiction potential becomes less uh, as well. Uh, let me ask you this, that if your pain is managed and you decide to see if you can get by with a lower dose, if then your pain is not managed, uh, is, is, have you kind of lost something? No, not really. I don't, I don't think so. Generally, the way we will do it is we say, say, kind of pain management is usually a, a combination of drugs that are taken regularly. So you'll have maybe a medication you take once, twice, three times a day. And then you have the breakthrough kind of PRN yeah. medication. We call it when you take when you need it. So um, that that's always kind of one of those things that we could teeter with. So we could say, hey, let's try reducing how much you're taking uh, uh, during the day. But if you need to, you take some of this, uh, you know, extra medication that you have on the side. And when we reconvene, we could say, hey, how, how many of those breakthrough pain doses did you take? If you're taking a lot, that's probably a sign that, hey, we better increase how much we're giving you uh, um, regularly. But if, if you're not, then, hey, maybe that strategy worked and we were able to get you down a little bit. Okay. Let's go to the phones. We've got Lisa here in Toronto. Hi, Lisa. Lisa? Yeah, hi. Good afternoon. Uh, you're on the air. Go ahead. Okay. You know, you're talking about medicine. I don't understand why doctors are so quick to push um, medication upon people, prescriptions. I've had a bad sciatica, and my remedy for all cures, and I mean all cures, is stretching and a good soak in a tub for 45 minutes with Epsom salts and a cap of Dettol. You know what? That's a great point. And, uh, um, uh, you know, I, I agree in a sense. There's a lot of things you could do to manage your pain that don't require you to go on meds right away. Are there situations where you need opioids? For sure. And, and, and you know, there's many of those types of cases. But the reality is uh, for a sciatica, for example, if you're able to strengthen those surrounding muscles, we call them non-pharmacological measures, exercise. But my doctor wanted, but my doctor wanted to give me a prescription. I just looked at it and I gave it back to her. Yeah, and I mean, if you could, you know, if you're managing it with those lifestyle changes, that's the best strategy always, right? Some patients, it's going to take more than that, and, and, and we're going to have to try to use medications. But you're right. I think uh, frankly, uh, the non-farms, best good op- first option anyways. Frankly, some people just don't want to do the exercise. It's hard to get them to do it, but it, it actually um, it works very often, at least for at least for a certain part of it. And, and that's not something that's only uh, a problem in pain management. We see it in diabetes, hypertension, uh, high cholesterol. Lifestyle in those areas will make a huge difference as well. A lot of times people aren't willing to make those lifestyle changes and we're forced to put them on medication. But, I mean, a, a lifestyle change, I mean, everybody needs to take a towel. I mean, just soak your, your body in it. You know, there's... You know, no stretching to do there. Yeah, yeah, the Epsom uh, salts or whatever. I have yeah. many patients that do that, and they swear by it as well. But it really depends on kind of the nature of the pain. That's right. And the other thing to remember is that uh, chronic pain can be debilitating, yes. really debilitating. And uh, Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of what we're, uh, I think, talking about here. Those patients that are suffering and have been suffering for years with chronic pain, how do we manage that pain? And in many cases, you have no choice but to get them on opioids, but we want to use them safely, and, and that's... Uh, the most important thing, I think. Okay, Lisa, thanks so much for that. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, Bob in Mississauga. Hello, Bob. Uh, hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Good, good, thank you. Uh, I just wanted to uh, ask the pharmacist if you could tell me the pros and cons of the following. I, I have chronic back pain. I used to take all kinds of uh, oral medication, anti-inflammatories, and then I 
did the facet block injection needle. That works sort of okay. Recently, I had the epidural done, which seems to have worked the best of all. But what, what's the pros and cons of, uh, of, of the things I've mentioned? Well, I mean, these are, you know, now you're getting into interventions, right? So those, those, uh, those are actual procedures that you're having done. Um, you know, as with any uh, kind of medication, there is some risk of tolerance, right? So if you're doing those therapies, you may not get the same benefit every time you do that, right? So they, they, they may start uh, uh, not working as well or you may need to, they may need to increase the dose. But those are, those are more uh, invasive interventions as opposed to taking, say, an oral medication. So the biggest, uh, you know, uh, potential con is complications from the procedure if it's not done properly. And like I said, if you develop tolerance, they may need to change the medication or the dose on you. But uh, uh, beyond that, you know, the, those are, would be my primary concerns. Which ones have the worst long-term effects on your kidney and your liver and things like that? Well, yeah, it's hard to compare, like, in that sense, right? Because uh, um, we know if the drugs are used safely, they're not going to be overtly toxic, right, if they're within the recommended doses. And and uh, most of these medications are actually cleared uh, uh, through the liver and not the kidney. There are some that are... are uh, cleared through the kidney as well but I mean if you're if if you're being monitored and you're at therapeutic doses we wouldn't worry about those effects because I'm I'm, I'm sure you're getting blood tests once in a while and they're and they're looking yeah, at three four times a year yeah so they're looking at your you know your liver health and and your kidney function as well um, yep. so I'm more worried about you know the effects of the actual medications and we know some of these medications they've got you know they could cause confusion drowsiness all these things that could put you at risk for falls uh, uh, if they have hang you know you get the hangover effect Sometimes, so it's a really a fine balance between pain management and the side effects. I found with the oral medications, the main reason I went off them was the side effects like instant on diarrhea, stuff like that. Yeah, the the, the side effects of uh, these medications generally we have that the, the things that everyone will experience nausea, constipation, sedation. Then, as you get to higher doses, that's where you're at risk for respiratory depression and the more serious things. And that's where, you know, we 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 we've heard of these opioid related deaths, right? Right. Yeah. Okay, Bob. Thanks for that. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Okay, uh, we have to take a quick break. Before we go, I'll give you the numbers again. I'm here with our trusted contributor, John Papasturgio from the Ontario Pharmacists Association. He's here to take your calls and questions. We're talking about pain management, but uh, he'll take any of your questions. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740, and we'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. I am here with John Puppesturgeu, our trusted contributor from the Ontario Pharmacists Association. We're talking about pain management, the numbers, 416-360-0740 or one 740 And John, you were telling me about something new to do with fentanyl, especially in the wake of uh, a lot of deaths from fentanyl. Yeah, we know uh, there's been 655 deaths in Canada because of fentanyl over the wow. last uh, six years. So that's um, you know, it's uh, we we had to do something, and and uh, fentanyl actually is most commonly prescribed uh, through your pharmacy as a patch. So, uh, patients will get these patches. You wear them for seventy two hours, and then you change the patch. So you're getting a slow release of the medication. The way the 
uh, we were finding, you know, abuse was resulting. They were either using too many patches or they were cutting the patches open and removing the fentanyl. So that's led to, as of October 1st, any patient that's on fentanyl probably already knows this, but when you come to a pharmacy to get your refill, you have to bring back your used patches. And there's a way to do this. The pharmacy will kind of give you a sheet where you stick the used uh, uh, patches on, but you won't be prescribed your next uh, uh, you know, refill until those patches are returned. And it's a way for us to monitor that patients are using the, uh, the patches appropriately. So that was kind of one of the, the mechanisms uh, that was put in place. One of the other things that at around the same time became available, naloxone is now uh, available right. for free through your pharmacy. So any patient that's on taking opioids chronically, any caregiver, anyone that's around high-risk patients, you could come to your pharmacy and you could get a naloxone kit. And what that is, it's essentially an, an antidote. If someone's taken too much of an opioid, it could save it could save their life. So that's available through community pharmacies as well. Talk to your pharmacist about that. Okay. Uh, let's talk to Wayne in London. Hello, Wayne. Hi. Hi. How are you guys today? We're Hi, doing very well. How are you? Oh, not too bad. I've had arthritis since I was 15, and, I'm a, and I have to have heavy doses of hydromorphone every day for a... Co- quality of life and I have ankylosing spondylitis is my type of arthritis. Yeah, so uh, do, you, do you know what dose you take uh, daily? Uh, yeah, I take about 33 uh, milligrams three times a day. Oh, it's a very high dose. So you, you'd be one of those uh, you know, uh, patients that uh, we'd say, hey, make sure you have a naloxone kit at home because you never know. You know, you, you could get sick. The, uh, uh, the way you clear the, uh, no, uh, the opioid may change. It's always great to have one of those naloxone kits available. Um, uh, but you seem to be tolerating it okay. You're not having any side effects on no, that dose? No, no, I haven't. I've, and, I, you know, I have to have it. I have no quality of life. Yeah, and there's many, exactly, many patients like you in that scenario. And it's fine to be... Uh, on it's fine to be on that medication and that dose as long as you're being monitored appropriately. Oh, yes, so definitely. Yeah, and you're not having any side effects. If, if that ever changes, make sure you talk to your pharmacist because oh, definitely. As, patients, as patients get older, their ability yeah. to clear the opioid changes, right? And yes. even though you've been fine on this dose maybe for years, uh, yeah. it could start being too too much, right? That's, there's always that possibility. If your renal function, hepatic function changes, um, so it's always important to talk to your pharmacist about uh, how you're doing uh, during your refills, and that's something we try to do regularly with our patients. Okay, yes. Wayne. Thanks yeah. very much. Okay, you're welcome. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Uh, we've got Patrick in Brampton. Hello, Patrick. Well, uh, I'd like a quick question for the pharmacist. Uh, what is the effect of grapefruit juice on many medications? That's a, I know it's double thumb and make some work. Okay, uh, Patrick, before John answers, I'm going to let you go because there's a lot of uh, noise on your line, but uh, listen for the answer. Thanks. That's a great question, Patrick. It doesn't, not, doesn't really affect opioids because we're talking about opioids, but we know grapefruit juice does interact yep. with many medications. And um, most medications are cleared through uh, what we call the, uh, uh, the cytochrome enzyme system in your liver. So they're metabolized and destroyed and excreted that way. Um, grapefruit juice will interact with that process. So certain enzymes, it could be it could inhibit. 
And if you're taking medications that are cleared through uh, those that enzymatic system, you could have a problem, right? That you could actually have higher doses. That the, the consequences would be more. Uh, the effect would be more than you would intend it to be at that given dose. So um, many of the cardiovascular medications fall under this kind of interaction. Um, if you drink a lot of grapefruit juice, make sure your pharmacist knows. Uh, uh, that's something that I think uh, is important for them to know when they're dispensing the medication. Many pharmacists will ask, like if they know there's a grapefruit interaction with the drug they're giving you, they'll say, hey, do you drink a lot of grapefruit juice? But it can be very significant for certain medications, and it, and it is because it affects the clearance of the drug. So, And does it? do you have to cut it out, or do you just have to make sure you drink it at a different time? Yeah, it really, you have to cut it out, right? So, And, and I have had patients that say, I love my, my, my uh, grapefruit juice and grapefruit and I'm not stopping. So then we'll find another medication that doesn't get uh, cleared through that pathway. And we're fortunate enough for many, especially for many of the cardiovascular meds, there's alternatives. So we could try another agent that doesn't have that. And is the same true for orange juice? No, not orange juice. Yeah, no. Orange juice can interact with medications in different ways because it's, uh, it's uh, uh, acidic. It could change yeah. the acidity in your stomach, but not through that same interaction as grapefruit juice. So it really is primarily a uh, uh, exclusive to grapefruit. Okay, well, that's very interesting. Let's go to Yoram in Thornhill. Hello, Yoram. Hi. Hi, do you hear me? Hi. Yes, go ahead. Okay, I had the five bypasses about three years ago. And I was, I'm taking lipidol. Okay. And the lipidol that I'm taking, okay, I was reading about it. And I was talking to some other people, and they told me it's not good for the kidneys. I went to my doctor, and I told him about it, that I read about it, and I know about it. Then he said his answer was, if you want to live another 10 years, why don't you take it? Like he gave me the option in that way. Okay, so hold. Is, and are I you... really, yeah, and I really don't know if I need it. And in the beginning, I took two of them. The truth is that I took one less, not one more. Okay, you're changing. This is a, a you know a big phenomenon where where people are um, changing their doses or self medicating on their own, and and um, so John, please respond. Yeah, so first, is it Lipitor or Lipidil that you're taking? Lipitor. Lipitor, right? Yeah. So Lipitor uh, for for our audience is an anti cholesterol medication. So it's, it belongs to the class of drugs called statins, and they lower Correct. your cholesterol. So, no, it does not affect your kidneys. So, uh, um, Lipitor is metabolized through, through the liver. So, your kidneys are safe. You don't have to worry about your kidneys. Um, uh-huh. The problem, and I hear this a lot with uh, patients with high cholesterol, because you don't feel you have high cholesterol, right? So, you feel good otherwise. So, you say, I don't really need this Lipitor. But what the Lipitor is doing is it's actually uh, reducing your risk for a cardiovascular event because it's bringing down your cholesterol level. It's preventing that plaque from forming on your arteries and your heart. And you said, I think you said you've had bypasses before or no? I had five five bypasses. Oh, yeah. So you're at the highest risk category possible. They want to keep your LDL, which is a measure of your cholesterol, at around 1.8. You take that medication as prescribed. As long as you're not having any side effects, it's one of the most important things you could do. That class of drugs has the actual, the most evidence to suggest, hey, if you take this, you're going to add years to your life. And that's why your doctor said if you want to live another 10 years, you stay on that medication. It's very important. 
Don't worry about your kidneys. It's not affecting your kidneys. Your doctor monitors for your kidney function anyways when he does your, your blood work. You'll be okay. Don't reduce the doses on your own. Patients are doing this all the time, and there's reasons why you're on a certain prescribed medication. If you're having side effects, let us know. But other than that, stay on the dose. And by the way, my cholesterol is still after I reduced one pill. Yeah. It's 1.5. That's where you want to be. But, you know, reducing it for a little bit, it doesn't make a difference. Like, it's over the long term. I bet you if you go down to the lower dose and you stay on that uh, lower dose for long enough, you'll see your cholesterol will start to creep up again. If you're tolerating the dose, stay on the dose you prescribe because it's doing its job. You're very low, 1.5. That's where you want to be. That's a great number. I reduced that already the last uh, one year. Over well, <laughs> hey, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you to stay on the lower dose because I think okay. it was working. Um, if you, you feel much. fine, take the the right. The you dose. know what, Yoram? Go back yeah. to your doctor yeah. and discuss it with your yeah. doctor because that's the person who should be adjusting your dose. But, uh, your but good are- for you. You know, because you're hearing different things from, uh, you're reading the internet and you from other people and, uh, you know, you're in a question mark. Yeah. Well, exactly. Wanna... It's it's good to have questions, but, but yeah. uh, Dr. Google uh, isn't taking care That's of you. Yes. So <laughs> thanks for your call. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, yeah, it's it's a huge thing. People uh, self-medicating, they're either increasing their doses, lowering their doses, stopping medications as soon as they, they start working. It, it's not a good idea, people. And it makes it very complicated for your healthcare providers, especially if you're not telling them, right? So they have you on a certain dose. They think it's not working because you're not taking it appropriately. And then uh, you know, it, we're increasing doses when we don't have to. Yeah, it's very important to stay on that prescribed dose. We know adherence in Canada is horrible. By six months, patients drop off. Half of them aren't taking their medications as prescribed. So I think it's the biggest opportunity for us as pharmacists is to impact adherence in our patients. We're trying to do it. It's not an easy job. Yeah, I, I, this whole noncompliance issue, and, and, and I get it. You know, when, I, I, when I'm having a problem, take a pill or whatever, mm-hmm. problem goes away. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so I see it every day and I hear it every day from the patients in the pharmacy. Uh, but when I think of chronic medications like for diabetes or for cholesterol yep. or high blood pressure, those are the ones when you stop being non-adherent, you think you're fine, but then, bam, it's a ticking time bomb sometimes. And, and then you have an event and you wish, uh, man, I wish I was taking the drugs as planned. You know? mm-hmm. Is there a plan to try to tackle this whole issue of non-compliance, people yeah, who aren't th- taking their meds? I think I think so. And I think, uh, you know, uh, the medication review process, the med check program, that's part of it is to really have pharmacists take the time and discuss with their patients, assess their adherence. At Chopper's Drug Mart, we have our patient contact center. Many of your patients have probably received calls. We actually have a call center that reminds people to come in and pick up their medications. And uh, if uh, if they haven't picked up or if they're late, they'll, they'll put them through to our pharmacy and they can talk to a pharmacist to figure out what's going on. But th- all these things, uh, I know the contact center has been able to increase adherence kind of it within, uh, within our patient population. But it's uh, it's not an easy, ba- uh, you know, uh, battle. And we haven't been able to touch adherence in 20 years. The numbers have not changed. Everything we do really? overall, it's still the same. By by six months, fifty percent of patients are off. So we're not ha- we're not winning this one. And uh, what twenty years ago was it better, or did no, you just it's start? No, the same as it is now. But we've put all these uh, uh, programs into place, and we still can't see the lift in adherence. And it's just, I think it's human nature. You feel good. You say I don't want to take this, and uh, uh, or people are doing like what our last caller did. They're just changing or fiddling with their doses on their own. 
But uh, yeah, I think education is a big part of it. The more we talk about it, hopefully the better it will be. Okay, well, that's uh, it's another scary thing that yeah. that we have to uh, deal with. And uh, the other thing is, you know, uh, our last caller, Yoram, was talking about reading things on Google and asking questions is great. I know that that drives a lot of healthcare professionals nuts. But but then you hear things. I mean, he's saying, you know, I heard this drug hurts my kidneys, yeah. and then you're saying, well, actually, it doesn't. Yeah. And- you know, Dr. Google's great when you're you're trying to educate yourself. The, my biggest uh, uh, challenge is patients go to websites that are not reputable, right? Right. So you can't verify the content, where it came from. People are posting their own personal opinions yeah. on there. And that's when we get into trouble. There are some very good websites out there, you know, Canadian Diabetes Association, Heart and Stroke Foundation. Those websites, everything you'll find on those sites. Uh, Mayo Clinic. Mayo Clinic. It's, they've all been vetted through, you know, healthcare yeah. professionals and experts. But just be careful what sources you're using. And if you want a good list of sources, talk to your pharmacist. We know we know all the good ones. We'll make some recommendations. Well, exactly. And there are official uh, websites sure. from Canadian Cancer Association, yeah. uh, Breast Cancer foundation prostate cancer canada pancreatic cancer canada you know something that is a little bit official but some of the stuff that you see online some of the things that people say and and you know often they really believe these things but but <laughs> they're not true they're not true and and we see you know what we see it the most is with vaccination it's flu season oh, right no, now no, it's, oh yeah my God. so you you know you get a, there's this anti-vaccination sentiment it's in canada it's even bigger in the u.s right now and some of the things you see posted i was reading some tweets from Donald Trump uh, and there's a whole other character but what? Where he, say he was talking still about autism and vaccination. Oh and my like, god that has been so debunked. I know I know and you still it's still out there and uh, and it's rampant on the internet and it, it applies across I think all the, the different therapeutic areas but we have a problem and you just go to the right websites and educate yourself properly. I think that's the most important thing you could do. Yeah. Anything else that you would like to uh, leave us with? We have less than a minute No, left. just last thing is get your flu shot. It's flu yeah. season. We were talking about it earlier today. Uh, they're available in your pharmacies now. I had a lineup this morning before I came here. It seems the bad weather has gotten people to come in. But uh, the earlier you get vaccinated, the better, especially if you're high risk or senior patients, patients with chronic medications. You want to get early uh, uh, vaccine as early as you can. We're, we're going into November and it's uh, we're going to start seeing flu uh, circulate very soon. Right. And apparently this flu season is going to be worse than, than last year. We got, uh, we got lucky. Last couple of years wasn't, totally, ho- wasn't yeah. horrible, but they're saying this year is going to be bad. So everyone get vaccinated and make a difference. Okay. Thank you so much for that. Our trusted contributor from the Ontario Pharmacists Association, John Puppasturgio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.